Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to do something a little bit different than uh, what we traditionally do. And I want to talk to you about having a biblical world view. In Psalms 11, in verse 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, the foundations, it can be talking about of a society. Uh, I'm going to be more pointing this towards our individual lives. But if our foundations are destroyed, it's so important to have the right foundation. Jesus preaches the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends it, and this is what he says. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Got a good foundation. He says, the storms come, the wind, the, the, uh, the, the, the waves, the rain, they beat against it, and it does not fall. But then he says, if your foundation is bad, he said, just like you built your house on the sand, if you hear his word and don't do it. He said, and the winds and, the, and the, the, the rains and the floods come against that house and it falls and great is its fall. Foundations are important. And we've got to have the right foundation in our personal lives. We need a great foundation in our nation. But I want to talk to you today about having a biblical worldview. Now, somebody said, well, what's happening in our nation? More importantly, what's happening in our lives? Right? Because as the people go, so goes the nation. And the kingdom of God, it is within you. You say, yeah, well, I'm an American. Secondly, first of all, the Bible says your citizenship is in heaven. You're a part of the kingdom of God. Right? Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, for every part of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful in one way or another, showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Now, notice it mentions showing us the truth. You know, we're living in a society today that doesn't even recognize there is truth, that there's right and there's wrong. Isaiah, 2,700 years ago, was facing a similar situation. And he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. He's saying that there is a right and there is a wrong. And the foundations are broken up when good is called evil, evil is called good, when darkness is called light and light is called darkness. Uh, you may have never heard of Saeed Khatoub. Uh, he actually was executed in 1966 for, a, for plotting to assassinate the president of Egypt. He was hung until he was dead. He was an Egyptian author, revolutionary, Islamic theorist, a poet, and a leading member among the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood throughout the 50s and the 60s. Uh, he really was a politician in some ways, 
with a worldview that was of hatred and violence of Jews, Christians, and the West. And you would think, well, you know, he, he was hung because of his attempt to uh, kill the Egyptian president, and that should be the end. Except for his brother, Mohammed, picked up on his philosophy, on his worldview, and began teaching and publishing. As a professor in a university in Saudi Arabia, uh, he taught his pupils. And again, you probably never heard of his brother, Mohammed, but you probably have heard of his star pupil, Osama bin Laden. How many have heard of Dennis Wave? I figured to be just about everybody. You know, what happened was Osama bin Laden picked up a worldview right, that Saeed Tabu had of hatred, of violence. And because of it, we live in a different world today. You're reminded every time you go to the airport, things are a little different. We've been in a war in the Middle East for 19 years with really no end in sight. Worldviews have consequences. Now, according to Barner's research group, 9% of Christians, only 9% have a Christian worldview. Only 9% of us get our worldview from the Bible. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the worldviews and, and uh, talk about how to get a biblical worldview. Now, the first one I want to mention is simply hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure and sexual indulgence, which pretty much just says if it feels good, do it. Party on. Instant gratification. The playboy philosophy. The Apostle Paul talked about it 2,000 years ago in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 4. He says, loving pleasure more than loving God. Now, interestingly, uh, you can say you're a Christian and have a different worldview. You may say you're a Christian, but if you're living a self-centered life, you're a hedonist. If you say you're a Christian, but your goal in life is to make money so you can have fun and pursue pleasure. Your worldview, you have a hedonistic worldview, not a biblical worldview. If my goal in life is I want to retire, if I can just do what I want, that's a hedonistic worldview. Do you realize that God is not done with you? The Bible says that he's prepared good works for you to do. That doesn't, that's not just when you're 16, that's when you're 96. You may say you're a Christian, but if my future plan is to just sit back, accumulate enough so I can do nothing, you know, that is a hedonistic worldview. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will save it. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Basically, there's, there's three ways that people live their life. Some live their life to please themselves. And you know, when you're 
pursuing that type of a, of a life or just pleasing yourself, it promises you joy and fulfillment, and it delivers misery and emptiness. Others, listen, they live to please other people. Man, that will just fill your life with anxiety. That would be like living your whole life in middle school. All you're doing is worrying about what somebody else thinks, right? Man, uh, your, your, your life probably kind of revolves around how many likes you get on social media. But Jesus modeled and taught the opposite of hedonism. He said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying, there, there is something way beyond this world and the pleasures of this world. And the things that people think are going to bring them pleasure and fulfillment are not the things that bring pleasure, excuse me, that bring purpose and bring fulfillment. Another worldview is materialism, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort more important than spiritual things and spiritual values. And it basically just says this, I need more, 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 more. 3,000 years ago, a man named Solomon, the Bible says the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus. He wrote and he said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. And he who loves abundance with increase. Just saying, if you love money, no matter how much you get, you always want more. The, the finish line just keeps on moving. Right? In the boat world, they call it foot-itis. If I could just, I got a 24-foot, I need a... 26, I need a 28, I need a 32, I need a 40. You just keep going and keep going, never satisfied. And Solomon said, it's just vanity, right? This is the, this is the saying you'll see on some bumper stickers, unless I've seen it, I haven't seen it in a while, but he who dies with the most toys wins. Let me remember that. It's a lie. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess but we've got commercials and infomercials that are promising us happiness and fulfillment. And we're just one more purchase away. And we would be so fulfilled and so satisfied. You know, this philosophy, this worldview says, I will be worth more if I own more. If I have more, I'll be worth more. Because they confuse their values with their valuables. More happiness, they think, will come in security, but it's not true. I was reading a book this week, uh, and uh, I had my secretary put this in this morning. He says, many have a lot to live on and too little to live for. They have an abundance of possessions, but scarcity of purpose. And without purpose, all the possessions and possibilities are worthless. You can have a lot to live on, but very little or nothing to live for. You can have abundance of possessions, but scarcity of purpose. In 1966, J. Paul Getty was the richest man in the world. This is what he said. He said, I would gladly give all of my millions for one lasting marital success. See, the greatest things in life are not things at all. The greatest things in life are not things. 
But materialism tells you that the pursuit of those things, that's where you're going to find your purpose. But the Bible tells us in Revelation 4 and 11 that for your pleasure, God's pleasure, they were created. You were created for God's pleasure. You were created to love God. That's when people try to find their purpose and they start with themselves, they never find it. They always end up with something, they're pursuing something else, but they're missing out on what they were created for. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, it's when we're loving God and loving people, not when we accumulate. That's not our purpose. That's not what brings fulfillment into our life. Another worldview, individualism. In living in America, it is hard not to, in some way, embrace this because we live in the most individualistic society that the world has ever seen. And it's basically the principle or the idea of independence and self-reliance. It's me first. It's my rights, my feelings, my desires. Kind of sums it up. Have it your way. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. We did it all for you. And what it's created, what it's given us, is a culture of narcissism. This is why somebody will walk out on their marriage today walk away from their spouse, walk away from their kids. And this is what they'll say. I have to do the things that are going to make me happy. I've got to do what's going to make me happy. Ignoring what's best for their family, their spouse, their kids, other people, the community, the kingdom of God. I only do what's best for me. No thought on how it affects others. But Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life, will lose it. You go try to find yourself, you're not going to find yourself. But he says, whoever loses his life for my sake, you'll find it. You say, you want to find yourself? He says, lose your life for my sake. Significance does not come from money or success or status or salary or serving yourself. It comes from serving others and serving God. In fact, Jesus said, he said, whoever wants to be great among you, and his disciples are arguing about being great. And I think it's, it's interesting. Jesus does not say, you should not want to be great. You shouldn't want that. No, that's not what he does. In fact, he says, this is how you become great. He says, to become great, he says, whoever desires to become great must be the servant. Whoever of you desires to become first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. If individualism was true, the happiest people on earth would be the most selfish people on earth. But we know that the exact opposite is the truth. Another worldview, pragmatism. A pragmatist is more concerned with facts, with end results and consequences. That's what a pragmatist looks at. It's basically whatever works for you. Now, it might not be right for me, but if it works for you, then it's right for you. And for the pragmatist, and you will see this when I mention this in our, and you'll see it in our culture, tolerance 
is the greatest virtue to the pragmatist. The pragmatist believes there's not anything that's really true. It might be true for you, but not for me. And there's nothing that's truly right or truly wrong. It might be wrong for you and right for me and right for me and wrong for you. But the Bible says that what God's word does is it teaches us what truth is and it teaches us what's right and what is wrong. So tolerance becomes the greatest virtue in a society or with people that are pragmatists. No one can say to you, you're wrong. Nobody can correct you. Nobody can say to you, you're deceived. You're moving in the wrong direction. Uh, a while back, I was, I was reading about a very well-known personality from Hollywood who is having same-sex attraction. And the individual said, well, you just like what you like. You just like what you like. If that's what you like, it's good. Whatever you like is fine for you. But the Bible tells us that there is a right and there's a wrong. The Bible is to correct us, to show us God's way to live. Now, this view is problematic and it's destructive. Number one, there is evil in the world. You're, there is evil. And there is right and there is wrong. But if, if you're a pragmatist and somebody says to you, you're wrong, this is what they say, you're intolerant, you're just a hater. Right? You're just a hater. Let me just say something. We need to take a stand. Take a stand for righteousness. In Revelation chapter 2, we find Jesus. And he's talking to one of the churches. And he says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jesus said, I have this against you that you tolerate. You see, Jesus is willing to say, you're wrong. That is not right. What you're doing is wrong. That may be what you want. Well, let me just tell you something. All of us have got wants that aren't right. The Bible says, in Isaiah 53, that he laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, all. In other words, if you will listen to your flesh, every single person here will go in a wrong direction, right? There is a truth in this world. And again, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitterness for sweet and sweet for darkness, Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. The, 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 the uh, pragmatist makes truth relative and correction impossible. Therefore, Christianity loses its power to become and becomes nothing more than an option in a marketplace of ideas. But what you believe determines who you become, determines how you behave. And it will determine your destiny. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. And he says, you make the word of God of no effect through your traditions. Another worldview, humanism. An outlook, a worldview that attaches the prime importance to, the, to humanity rather than divinity. The humanist believes and stresses the potential value and goodness of the human being. 
and emphasizes the common human need. Frank Sinatra kind of summed it up when he should say sung it up when he said, uh, I did it my way, my way. People are the ultimate authority and you can write your own truth. You are the master of your own fate. In, in, in fact, the humanist, their prayer is not thy will be done, but my will be done. Right? The new ager tells you, you are God, you're divine, right? And you are your own truth. And people love it. You know, it's really what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three. The, the serpent came to Eve and said, you can decide what's right and wrong for you. In fact, you do this and you'll be your own God. You'll be God. You can decide what's right and you can decide what's wrong. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then there's fatalism. And this one we, we even find is, is quite strong in the church. The belief that all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable. Fatalism. It, it really, it crushes dreams. It replaces hope with discouragement. It replaces confidence with cynicism. And, and literally, they, they just believe things are never going to change. It's a cancer to the human soul. It destroys our hope. It destroys our faith. And it's just what will be, will be. It's all predestined. And, and unfortunately, uh, this is in a number of different religions. But it is truly also seeped into the church. Now, I know what I'm going to say. It's going to, going to rock a few boats. Right? But I want you to listen to what the Bible says about this. And in the church, this is what we hear. Well, God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. Really? Let me, let me read you a few scriptures. Again and again, they tempted God. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did what to God? They limited the Holy One of Israel. In Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus said that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass, he'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, if God wanted that mountain in your life, Jesus wouldn't have told you how to move it. A man comes to Jesus with a son who, if you read the story, he's, he's having seizures, maybe some sort of epilepsy. And he comes to Jesus and said, if you can help me, please, if you can do anything, help us. Now, this man is showing it all on Jesus. This is what Jesus said to the man. He said, if you can believe, if you can believe, Jesus said, don't throw this all on me. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Listen to John, 1 John 5, verse 19. We know for a fact that we're of God. And the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one, opposing God and his precepts. Put that down in a couple other translations. We know that we're of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Another translation. We are certain that we come from God and that the rest of the world is under the power of the devil. We know we belong to God and the evil one controls the whole world. 
We know that we belong to God and are the children of God, but the evil one controls the whole world. Jesus would have never told you to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if everything that was happening on earth was already God's will. It's not God's will. It's not God's will. Right? And, and sometimes we as Christians, we just get into this, well, whatever will be, will be. Lo que sera, sera. Right? And we just sit back. Right? That is not a biblical worldview. That is not. The biblical worldview is that as a Christian, and you're connected to God, and he's given you authority, right? And you can pray. And as a result of your using your authority, things can change on this earth. So often our lives do not reflect the values that Jesus taught. And again, the Barna Group tells us that only 9% of Christians have a biblical worldview. That's sad. 9% of us. But that biblical worldview, if you've got that biblical worldview, you know God keeps his promises. You matter to God. God loves you. There is transformation. There is change that is possible and positive that God wants to bring into your life. Your life matters. There's truth. There's right. There's wrong. You're secure in Christ. Your past can be forgiven. You can be right with God, and you're going to live someplace forever. Those are all things that are part of a biblical worldview. Second Corinthians 11 verse four. Now this is not new. Listen, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and these are Christians. He says, for if he, he comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. Now notice he said, there's the people that are preaching another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Right? This was first century. Already, other worldviews were trying to slip into the church. Now, they tell us today that the most common worldview among people who say that they're Christians, according to the National Study of Youth and Religion of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, is moralistic therapeutic deism, moralistic, therapeutic deism, moralistic, simply meaning that God wants you to be a good person and God wants you to be kind. How many believe that's true? God wants you to be good and he wants you to be kind, but that will not make you right with God. Being good and being kind will not make you right with God. In fact, Romans 3.20 says that by being good or by the works of the law, no one has ever been made right with God. Nobody ever. But yet, much of, of people who, who say that they're Christians, they think, well, if I just obey the law and I'm good. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, I've obeyed all the law. What do I still lack? It wasn't enough to obey the law. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to be kind. See, you need Jesus. In fact, the Bible says the reason the law was given was so that you'd know you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior. Therapeutic. In other words, God wants you to feel good about yourself. Just it. God wants you to feel good about yourself. And the central goal of life is to be healthy and happy and feel good about yourself. Well, listen, in Christ, 
You're connected to God and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Outside of Christ, you are miserable and you are a sinner. Got it? You see, I was pretty good. No, you were bad. You were bad. The Apostle Paul talks about it, and he says, before Christ, every one of us, he said, we were, we were moving in the flesh. We were following the desires of the flesh, and without Christ, we're not good. And then he said, the, the, the uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, deism believes in the existence of God, but it believes that God basically, like, like the world and your life is a clock, and he wound it up put it on the shelf, and took off. Right? And he is not involved. He's not involved in your daily life. Right? And God doesn't place demands on us, but he is available if we need him. Right? Now, many churches claim to be Christian, but what they teach is more moralistic, therapeutic deism. And it crashes with the Jesus of the Bible, with the Holy Spirit of the Bible, right? and with the gospel of the Bible. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. Now, so often we find ourselves, and we look at these different worldviews, and we say, man, this kind of slipped in, and this has kind of slipped in. And how do I get a biblical worldview? Now, let me close with this. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. Don't be like the culture that we live in. One translation says, Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. Hmm? All right. So don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. But be transformed. Be changed. Now, that word transform." Uh, we get our word metamorphosis from it. Right? It's like a polywog becoming a frog or a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It says there's going to be radical change. Right? Now, God loves you the way you are, but praise God, he's not leaving us the way we are. Right? He's taking us, the Bible says, from glory to glory into the image of his son. Right? So how does this happen? Now, the King James Bible says by the renewing of your mind. Probably the best translation for us today says it this way, by changing the way that you think. Change the way you think. Now listen, all of us have a Bible. It might be on your, you're on your phone, on some device, or maybe you're like me, you still like that old hard copy, right? But the Bible was given to us to change how we think. And that's the purpose of the Bible, to change the way that you think. So several years ago, at the close of the service, now typically what I do is, is I stand around at the close of the service, and there may be somebody who wants to come up and first time here, and they want to meet me, or they want me, want me to pray for them about something, or just talk about something. And, and uh, at the end of a particular service, I remember I'm sticking around, and, and I'm praying for a couple of people, and I notice that there's a guy who's standing a few rows back maybe three, four rows back, and he waits till everybody's gone. And then he comes up, and, and by the time that he comes and starts to talk to me, literally, he's crying. And he says to me, he says, Pastor, he says, I'm committing adultery. He says, I've been committing adultery 
for two years. He says, he says I want to quit, but I can't. I don't even enjoy it. He said, but I just can't quit. He says, but you pray for me. I didn't want anybody to hear it. He says, we don't want anybody. He says, I, 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 if you pray for me, pray for me, I'll quit. And, and I said, I can pray for you, but it won't help much. Now, I may as well have slapped him, which was my intent. <laughs> right? Because he'd already been praying. Right? And nothing was changing. You see, you may have something in your life you want to change, and you've been praying about it for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, and there isn't no ch any change because the Bible doesn't say you change by prayer. It says you change by renewing your mind or by changing the way you think. Anytime that we're involved in sin, whatever it is, it's because we are believing a lie. There's something we believe that is not true. And you know this, one of the most dangerous things in anybody's life is what you believe to be true but isn't true. Okay. So I said to him, I said, I'm going to pray for you, but first I want to talk to you. I said, and I actually took him to Romans 12, verse 2, that you need to change how you think. So I said, here's what you need to do. I said, every day, you read Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. You say, why? Because those are the Proverbs that talk about sexual sin and the consequences of sexual sin. And then it said, and then every week you read the story of Samson. Now, those of you who don't know the story, he had a problem with lust when he was young. And he never conquered it. And when, it was, when he was old, it destroyed him. It destroyed him. Because what you don't conquer when you're young controls you and destroys you when you're old. Right? And then I said, every week you read the story of David. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and the consequences in his life and in his family because of what he did. Now, I said, now I'm going to pray for you. Now, this is what I know. I know if he did that, it would change the way he thinks. And when you change the way you think, you change the way you live. You change what you do. You do the things you do because of the things you believe, because of the way that you think. Right? And we have a culture that is inundating us with worldviews that are not biblical worldviews, that are false. And the way that we change that is we get in the Word of God and we meditate in the Word of God. And the Bible says when you meditate in the Word day and night and you observe to do according to all that's written therein, it says you will make your way prosperous you will have good success. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And always in a group this size, there's people that have served God for decades. And others, you're away from God. And some of you, literally, you do not know where you stand with God. You're hoping you're right with God. You're hoping you're on your way to heaven. But the Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to die and find out if you're right with God. You're supposed to know that you're forgiven. You're forgiven, right with God, on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. So I'm going to ask everybody, everyone that's here, everybody that's online, if you can, put one hand over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. Just say, oh God, 
I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. And I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. And that I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.